Thank you for tuning in. You're tuned in to the Hang 'em Up podcast with Tyler Sadler and Nick Costello. Welcome back, y'all. You are about to listen to Act 2 of a two-part series that we have with Naya and Miguel. If you're enjoying the content, we ask that you continue to share with your people. Also, if you have a particular special guest you'd like for us to interview, have content you'd like for us to discuss in general, or simply just have feedback for us, by all means, we welcome it. We want to hear that. We want to hear from you, listeners. So please reach out to us, either via Twitter or Instagram, your choice. Our handles are both at hangemuppod, and that's H-A-N-G-E-M-U-P-P-O-D. Now, let's get back to it with Naya Miguel. You said something that I feel like resonates to something that we've talked about, you know, over the last handful of podcasts. Uh, and I'm curious on your perspective, you know, now that you're at, you know, Dominguez Hills at the, the D2 level, you, you're talking about fun and enjoyment. And, and I think as us as coaches, you know, at the youth level, uh, you know, where Nick and I are at right now, is the idea of fun kind of like this vision that was created at the very young youth level. And now you get to see it as an extension, as a more polished player is it the same as if i was like younger is that what you're trying like is that what you mean i guess where i'm trying to go with this is like one of the biggest things when i first took over at, at tsu you know when we had our one-on-ones what, what do you want out of me as a coach right one of the biggest things outside of the most obvious of i want to win ball games was i want to have fun again like i don't know how much of it with the previous coaching staff right Naya was like oh they lost all the time so it just sucked to lose or if like the process, you know, because I, I think about it like this. When I first fell in love with ball, there was an element of fun. Like I would envision it like the, you know, like when we do it with our parents in the backyard, right? Like, so that was fun. So now I want to actually play the game. So then you play the game and you're like, yeah, this is a whole lot of fun. But I also know when it gets serious, serious, you know, 18 to 21 year old college ball, fun gets taken out real quick when it's a 6 a.m. workout and it's a coach that's down your throat and you still got to keep up with your grades. And sometimes the last thing you're thinking is like, oh yeah, I forgot. This is supposed to be fun. I think the competition when you're older is what it is what's fun about it because it's like oh it's we have to win and it's like (laughs) it's what pays my checks when i was doing this (laughs) (laughs) which is why we were always probably really tough asshole coaches even though we were really cool on the recruiting trips but then when we get you it's like hey by the way just a reminder if you don't do good i lose my job (laughs) well i'll kind of segue this a little bit um i'll have a question on this uh, Miguel, what type of responsibility or weight did you ever feel about can, making sure that you were able to push fun and, and and or at times with players restoring fun? Like kind of were you able to kind of pick up on that and oh. what was kind of your coaching style with that? Easy, easy. I, I mean, um, yeah, even at the younger level because you, this podcast is for the younger, younger coaches and stuff. But, you know, you can see when kids are screwing around. You could totally. And there, there was a time for it. And I was, I'm okay. I'm going to let them be kids and I'm going to let them even, even at the older age, you know, I'm going to let them have fun. And, you know, especially with girls, you know, you let them be girls because they're going to go and they're going to be t- talking to each other and whispering, you know. Um, but then there was a time where, you know, it's like, all right, hey, it's time to get to work. Let's go. Stop horsing around. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, get the nets up, get this, get this going, start hitting, start throwing. Let's go. We, we, we're wasting time now. You know, there was there was some where you allow them to, you know, have fun and be the kids that they are. 
uh, um, and goof around. Um, and then there was time that, you know, Hey, let's go. We, you know, your parents, I only got you guys for an hour and a half, you know, at the younger age, at the travel ball ages, I got you for four hours. So there was a little bit more, um, uh, leeway there, but yeah, definitely what you're able to see when the difference is. And, and I think just having the knowledge and be able to see it and kind of redirect the practice or, re, you know, it doesn't happen too much. It did happen in the games, but, um, you know, just kind of redirecting their, their focus, um, is, is the thing. Miguel, any advice for parents who come to their coaches in midseason asking how or why their kids aren't developing or progressing? I think at the level that you guys are coaching at now, um, and I'm kind of, you know, tinkering in that level again, um, there has to be a lot of like, Hey, your kid's got to go to hitting. You got to play catch with your kid, you know, two to three times outside of practice, you know, Mm -hmm. they got to put that work in. Um, I don't know that they need to go to fielding lessons, you know, at an early age. Uh, um, but they got to have the, what hitting lessons may do is just build confidence in the kid. Yeah. You know, confidence. I know. So I do hitting lessons, right? So there's like, I got like six or seven girls and from day one to now, I mean, there was one that I started with like four weeks ago. She couldn't hit the side of the barn. But Mm -hmm. honestly, I just went to watch her yesterday, confident, went up there, hammered the ball, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's all, that's all it is. It's just confidence, right? So putting that extra work in helps them build that confidence, helps them get in, in in there. And, and then now lets their rec ball coach learn like, Oh, this kid is working. Oh, let me give her more opportunities. And that's how, you know, definitely at this age, that's when that definitely has to happen. The college age, that's a little different. It is a business, like Tyler says. Um, but, you know, and if they don't win, it's their job. And, you know, yeah. if the team doesn't win, the coaches lose their job. And, and I totally get that. Um, but, at, at, you know, at the youth level, man, hey, you got you got to get in there and, and uh, put the work in. And mommy and daddy have to do it, you know. Um, it if you can't do it, then be ready to pay for somebody to do it for your kid, you know, at at some age, you know, not necessarily five and six, but at some point you're going to have to probably pay, you know, um, to, to do that. Well, I think you just said something really important that I've, I've talked with Nick about is an episode on just confidence and momentum. You know, when, when you start feeling confident, the momentum and the end result of what you start seeing your game become, um, but it starts with that mental confidence you know yeah. so Naya this one's for you what was your fondest memory of playing um softball at a young age even like let's just say eight you as far I say eight you what's your fondest memory as far back as you can remember I think one of my best memories at the younger level was probably my first 10U team uh for rec ball I don't know, one of my 10U teams um, for rec ball and our team made it to our end of the year tournament and we ended up winning that whole thing. And I just remember all of us going like crazy, like berserk. And it's like just a little La Habra rec ball tournament with all of these, like there's like three or four teams and we win the whole thing and we're just like going crazy. <laughs> and I think that was probably one of like my probably like one of the memories that I remember the most that when I was younger, that team had like four girls go play division one softball, which is crazy. <laughs> Not directly. That is nuts. Well, 
I think what's funny to me in that story is like, as a true competitor, this just speaks to Nye's competitiveness. She's going to leave. She's going to make sure every detail one way or the other, it could have only been four teams, but at the end of the day, right. It, it, it's a fond memory because it may very well have been your first championship, right? Like the first, like not participation trophy, if you will, that you got to, you know, put up on your shelf. I think it was. <laughs> so, you know, which is crazy. Like when I think about my, my playing career, um, you know, one of my most fondest memories, like my first home run, like legit home run. Right. Um, but then also like when I won all region, uh, in high school, cause I worked my ass off to like, try to be the best I could be. And, um, at, at around that time, you know, PS, you had the likes of, you know, Sonny Gray and Mikey minor coming through and going to go play at Vanderbilt. The, the travel ball circuit that I played in, I was, I, I always tell my buddies, I was like, were we, were we that good? Or were we just around a lot of really good people? And <laughs> I still don't know that answer. I don't, I didn't go play college ball. So clearly I wasn't that good, but, um, but I can speak to that. And I can speak about like that first championship. Um, I will say though, I think that, and this is something that Jordan had actually talked about in one of our podcasts. I think some of my most fondest memories, um, and I got to experience it most in travel ball, not so much like, you know, once we graduated rec ball, my dad was also my coach. You know, my dad had a full ride pitch at Vandy and, ended up having a, you know, a successful career plan of, you know, he didn't end up c- completing it at Vandy, but he ended up going to Belmont and Lipscomb respectfully. Um, but we would, you know, the car rides to the game, talking about the strategy after the game, the, the aftermath, but then just those moments, like I'll never be able to take, I'll, I'll always remember that. And I'm appreciative um, as I'm sure, you know, with y'all's relationship, Miguel and I, that, how many hours were y'all in a car that just was sharing life, you know, super cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that me and Nick as our boys continue to grow that like, that's going to be kind of like that stepping, you know, hand me down type of, you know, moments that we'll have with our boys. You know, I, I'm a little older than you guys and I will tell you, you can't get time back then. So the more time you can spend with your kids and you guys are probably smart enough to know that, you know, take advantage of it, man. Um, enjoy it. Make the best of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point. Um, as cause I, I can't remember if I said this, like in the, the initial why, but like, I always wanted to spend more time with my kids and something that I can give back to them. Right. Like my wife's clearly smarter than I am. So like when it comes to homework, she's the one that's usually helping them. Although I've found out lately that I have a little bit more patience with our oldest uh, <laughs> and homework, but uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's spending time with them. And I, I know once they get to like high school, um, I mean, I, I've even talked to uh, Drew Beam's mother uh, and she'd mentioned that, uh, you know, his dad knew when he got to 12 years old, that's it. That's that's his expiration, expiration date is what she called it. Um, after 12 U. Drew was going to go on, get professional coaching. They never knew he was going to go this far, or at least that was the word she told us at the time. Um, but uh, when she told us 12, 12 years old, I was like, I mean, that's only five, six years, you know, six, seven years from now. That's mm-hmm. that's it, right? Like you, you just keep diminishing it even further and further. Um, so yeah, I could, I could totally get uh, that understanding and, and not wanting to, 
do something to kind of push your own kids away. Cause there's a, there's a great book out there that I'll mention in terms of like parenting and like kind of where we are as a climate, it's called the, the coddling of the American mind. Um, it's got a chapter in there that talks about how, if you want your kids to do something to not, or to stop doing something, it's to overly criticize it. And the author's talking about how or, uh, it's a separate story. It's very well documented. Um, but it's talking about how if you want your kids to stop playing video games, sit down and compete with them and tell them all the things that they're doing wrong with it. I guarantee they'll throw the controller and that's it. I'm done. Done playing this. Um, and it's, I, you think about it and they use the same correlation of like school. They use the same correlation with sports. And like, it's, it's true. Like I, I've, my oldest son and myself have went to uh, some of these local travel ball uh, tournaments that they have at the same ball field that uh, we play on. And the kids are, uh, you know, 10 years old. You got a kid on the mound and the father isn't even a coach. He's sitting next to us screaming at the kid to the point where the kid's bawling his eyes out on the mound. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking in the back of my mind, that kid's done. That kid is literally done playing. That's it. Like I, if he makes it through this and he's quote unquote mentally tough, he's going to, you know, if he makes it to the major leagues, the interview that he's going to give is, I hate my father, right? Like that, that sort yeah, of like correl- yeah, that correlation of like, I, I'm here in spite of my, my father uh, criticizing me in front of everybody. But Miguel, I, you I, look I, like you were like that. I mean, like their, their daughter's pitching and they're yelling at their daughter and their daughters are crying on the mountain and they're throwing the ball with tears coming out of their eyes. And I'm like, dude, just lay off her. Let me, uh, let me deal with her from the rest of the game. You know, so yeah, I've coached with guys like that. I, so, I, I don't think ahead. I, I don't know. So I was going to, I was curious. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't get too hot in the, with this question. Infamous car rides. Naya Miguel, is there any, was there any firework well, like remembered moment where it's like, ugh, wish we could have that one back? Um, I'll start on this. It wasn't a car ride, it was in the middle of a game. She knows exactly what it is. Um, this is probably the only one like i could think of or this is her worst her worst (laughs) story that she's ever told i mean i don't know what was going on i know she was it was an early game it was early like eight o'clock in the morning and you know we had to be there at 6 30 yeah uh, roughly um, what age group yeah i think no it was 16 no yeah it was like 16s i think it was was, so she was a little older um but she was kind of half-assed and I was getting pissed because, and it was in the middle of a game. It was like second inning. And I remember I pulled her aside. We get out of the inning. I pulled her aside for away from, it was probably five, 10 feet away from the dugout. And I laid into her and I said, you know who you're acting right like right now? You're acting like so-and-so. And she stopped and looked at me <laughs> and she was pissed because she could not stand how that girl acted and I just called her out and I told her that's who she was acting like. I, I can't say names. Right. Yeah. But Oh my God. She'll to this day, she says, that's the worst you've ever talked to me, dad. And it was because, <laughs> because of who I compared her to. And it wasn't even bad. Like it was just the person. Yeah. He compared me to, cause I was like, there is no way in hell that I am like that person. <laughs> but you know what? And it was just like, I don't even know. It sparked something yep. she was pissed. in me. And it was just like, all right, all right. <laughs> and she she started hitting the crap out of the ball. She started, you know, playing harder. You know, I mean, it was the first game. I, I don't know if we played three games that day. She didn't talk to me the whole day. 
She was pissed. Wow. <laughs> you want a sandwich? Yeah. It was, and, yeah. it was my mom. I was talking to my mom that day. Yeah, yeah. She would talk to her mother all day, and I was just kind of chill over to the and side. My, mom, <laughs> my mom's like, what's going on? And I'm like, he, he said I was like so-and-so, and she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> didn't even dog didn't even dog cuss or anything like no. we got nick over here at, in rec ball dropping some colorful language and no. oh, it takes us a comparison no <laughs> yeah it was I a was comparison to a person to a to a teammate actually um on a like a rival team. like a girl rival no no, no 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 we're me and that girl are really cool now <laughs> no but like a girl rival at the time like a 16 year old like no know, she, oh she was just my team. Like I liked her outside of softball. It was just like her worth ec- her work ethic during softball, and I was like, "Oh my! Can you just run? Like, can you stop <laughs> complaining about this stuff? Like, come on!" That's why I didn't like her, quote unquote. Yeah. But no, she's a cool person. Love her. <laughs> Love her family. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, I, I keep getting a bad rap for, in terms of uh, every. Well, I say everybody. Tyler and uh, Jordan keep pretending like i'm dog cussing my own child i i, I didn't I, I, the only thing i said bad i don't remember what it was it was it was something like uh i, I kid you not the only thing that comes to my mind is like g willikers because i had like a dry eraser marker in my hand and when my son ran through third base and like out to the bullpen type of thing so proud of himself thinking he got him out when in reality it was not even a force out i was like what are you literally what are you doing like and that's what I said. Like, gee, Willikers, like, get get over here. And I threw the pen in the bucket and, like, I was like, get over here. And I called time. I'm talking to him. And at this point, like, he's like, I, I, and I was like, why, why are you, like, why are you about to cry? Like, what's up? And again, I'm talking just like this, right? I was like, what, what's up? And he's like, I don't know why you're mad. I was like, I'm mad because you, you literally ran like 30 yards out into nowhere. I was like, what are you, why are you doing that? And he goes, well, you told me to cover third. I was like, and you know what cover third means? He goes, yeah, go stand on third. I was like, stand on third. And you didn't stand on third. You ran out to the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> it was a learning experience. I mean, I wish, Miguel, uh, since you've gotten to see part of my style, like I wish you could see the – it's a balancing I, – I feel like, I don't know, maybe Nick, Nick might put me on blast. Maybe Nick just doesn't know me well enough yet as a coach. But um, we're tough on our team, right? I mean, it's, um, I get it that it's rec ball, but, um, I'm preparing them like I would prepare one of my college teams in regards to like the technical side of things, which as you know, and I feel like in a certain way you can appreciate, like there's a, there is a very stern level of seriousness to the approach. It's like, okay, yeah, I want you to have fun. You can have fun when my practice is over and then you can run the bases with your friends, but until then let's focus. Right. But, um, Nick and I, this will be our first year to, to coach with each other. And I'm super excited about it because uh, just kind of like what we talked about before we went live on air was, um, you know, I, I, I kind of just go with it. And, and Nick is definitely more, um, you know, plan oriented, more detail oriented. And, um, and I think we're going to, I think we're going to be a dynamic duo. I, I really do. And, um, or I, I hope so. Right. Um, both of our sons have really, uh, you know, developed a friendship and, you know, they, they have a lot of fun with each other off to the side. That's not baseball related. And we're hoping that that continues to of course organically blossom. You know, it's not like we're trying to force our kids to be friends with each other. I, I don't think we have to worry about that. So, but uh, we're super that's excited that's with this upcoming spring. It's a good point, Tyler. You brought up Miguel as a youth coach. Do you have practice during season? Yes. 
<laughs> and and why and why why do you have practice during the season? Well, okay, so here uh, I helped coach last year, right, for the ten U team. So here at our league, they do not allow you to step field on. They, they don't give you six weeks. I, I heard you guys last week or on your last podcast talking about something like, oh, we practice six weeks before the first game. It's literally two weeks. Okay. So they don't let you step foot on the field till February 1st. And I want to say uh, Valentine's Day, they have their grand opening. They start having games. So that being said, you literally have two weeks to determine who can catch the ball, who can throw the ball. You know, you have an idea who your pitcher might be because those are usually the better players and who your catcher is. But you're really having to try and figure out, you know, what's going on. So there's a couple of fields that are local that aren't our fields that I'm like, hey, um, let's get an extra week in. We're going to go to this grass area. We're just going to play catch, you know. So, um, yes. And during season, um, they give you here, they give you a couple, I think it's two nights a week. And then they play two nights um, on the field. And it's an hour and a half is what they give. Um, and that's softball. I don't know how the baseball works. but um, well, So I think that the one thing, Miguel, I'm going to interject on this. So Nick bust, bust me on this because uh, I don't want to emulate a travel ball feel to a five and six year old squad. And with our league, I guess it because of the facility, you've seen our facilities or pictures of it. It's a ridiculously nice facility. Right. They try to cram in two and three games a week. And I'm like, well, if I got two or three games a week, why do I need to practice? Yeah. You know what? I mean, I know, I know what you're level, I, I, I agree with that though. I mean, that's when they're having fun. You got to play catch. You guys sound like you guys have a higher level of play. Like they're like 12 views from the sounds of what you guys are talking about. Um, our, 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 our team is, our team has been very successful. I mean, you've gotten to see a little bit of video, mind you. I mean, you know, little snippets from our GoPro. Yeah. Um, it's, there are a hand select kids, you know, not just my team and Nick's team was very successful. They finished in third this last year. Um, only lost two games. Um, the talented kids are very talented. Um, which, you know, you talked about jumping travel ball early at 10, um, most of our families, most of the good families are jumping travel ball at seven, eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Seven, seven, you. And like part of, part of the reasons that I've heard firsthand was like, well, I'm getting really frustrated that, uh, you know, the, the rec ball kids are holding my kid back. Ah. Well, to me, to me, that, that seems ridiculous. Uh, right. to me, that seems like a management of a kid and management of expectations because the, from my perspective, the worst things part about the travel ball is, and, and now you've talked about this of like the expectations or the, the, the fun part about playing any sport is the competition. Well, when you have travel ball, then you have people that are starting to treat it like jobs. Then you have coaches that are manipulating the system of like, it's not really about the fun. It's about, getting W's, getting wins, uh, some, some coaches, right? Like, uh, I know I've, I've talked to Tyler about this, Miguel, you and I've talked about it, uh, kind of at the beginning of this, this, uh, episode about, uh, keeping it all within perspective. Cause as soon as parents start paying money, the expectations drastically increase. And for the kid, I think 
that's when potentially the fun gets sucked out of it is you're doing all this work just to go sit on the bench and watch. And that's happened at seven years old, eight years old, nine years old. Like the, the way your kid develops is by being on the dirt, period. Yeah. Um, and if, 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 even if they're on a travel ball team, you know, they need to find a travel ball team that's a good fit for them to give them time on the dirt. Even though that team may not be the best team that wins every stinking game, your kid has to learn. He has to learn the situational stuff, has to learn the game, you know, and at the end of the day, you're learning, you can learn on the bench, but you know, guess what? When you're sitting on the bench, usually nine out of 10, well, let's, let's, let's make that less seven out of 10 coaches aren't really paying too much attention to the kid that's on the, on the bench, you know, which is sad, but on to touch on a little bit, what you were talking about earlier in regards to pay and stuff like that, there's an expectation of, pay to play right you know uh, some of these parents oh i pay this my kid needs to play um along with that too there's coaches at least here that the travel ball world is their business that's mm -hmm. how they make their living they mm -hmm. some of these guys will and you'll start seeing this sooner or later um if you're going to play for my organization you have to hit with me period yep. And that's another way that they generate. And so, you know, I think, okay, if I hit with you, um, if I, my, if I have my kid go hit with you, then, you know, and she's on your number one team, do you, does she hit for free? Because she's going to better your team. No, I still am charging 45 bucks mm -hmm. half hour or, you know, whatever the case is. So that ha happens a ton here. And, and because I don't know. I, I remember when I went over to Tennessee, it was snow. So I'm assuming it snows, you know, uh, every year or over yeah. there and it's a little chilly here and there, but, um, here it don't snow. It barely rains. So there's a lot of game that happens here. A lot of baseball, a lot of softball, a lot of everything. So unfortunately it has become year round for a lot of these girls and a lot of these boys. And that's the other side. I mean, Multi-sport. Yeah, they do. They do. They need to play other sports. Yeah. I think you guys have talked about it before. They need to play other sports. It's it's very important to rest those muscles, rest, you know, it helps with their injuries. But because they play year-round here and they pigeonhole everybody, oh, you have to, I've heard coaches say, you have to decide if you're going to play volleyball or you're going to play softball. Or, you know, that's baloney. Let the kid yeah. play both. You know, mm -hmm. oh, well, you have to specialize in a sport. That's crap yeah so that's my opinion though um you know most of these people like i said most of these people who are forcing you to decide they're running their business and yep. they're looking at how much money they can put, put in their pocket you know in the long run they hide it by being the head coach or the head organization there's a few organizations that are pretty good out here that that don't really care too much about that but um and i that was one of the reasons why we went with um the tigers they really didn't care too much about you know uh, you have to hit with me. You have to, you know, they were cool with, you know, you guys do what you're on and just put your work in. That's all we ask. Right. Yeah. There was a, so I'm part of the American baseball coaches association. They had a convention here last January here in Nashville and the press, I think it was the president of like Canes um, was given a, a, a talk more of a, I felt like a sales pitch to the youth coach coaches sessions. And the, one of the statistics that blew my mind was, um, and I'm going to get the numbers mixed up, but the whole sentiment will be the same. Uh, something like 8,000 travel organizations exist in like 2002. 
And he said by 2035, they estimate there's going to be 35,000 travel organizations. And like the, the rest of the sales pitch to me was like, this is why Keynes was great. And like they went into the whole experience about how you want your kid to play or this is why Keynes is better than others is because we have, you know, uh, coach buses that we take our kids to the games in and they don't even carry their own bags. We have people to carry their own bags into the, like the actual stadium. I had videos and I was like, I mean, yeah, I get it. And his, his, go ahead. You said that and I looked right at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Carry their own bags? Yeah. Um, and his, his reasoning for it was, well, you know, of the hundred, and I don't remember what the rankings they use, but like of the hundred uh, kids that are in the rankings, you know, we have a 99 point whatever percent rate uh, with D1, and then they go on to MLB. So we want to synthesize what it's like to go play in MLB. I, I don't know if I could fact check them, but I, I can almost guarantee it's not the 99%. Um, I can guarantee that it ain't free. No. Oh, no. It's a lot of money. And that's, that's the other thing is he said, uh, if you wanted to coach with my organization, you pay me something like $17,000. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean. I mean, there's a huge organization in the softball world that makes, the, the main guy makes a ton of money. It's per head, per team. You know, um, we, we call it the, that name, uh, the team, um, tax. Yeah. So, um, but he, he makes a lot of money and, you know, he's got a great business model, you know? So. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that's unfortunately always overlooked is like the good kids are always going to get found. Right. And, and we actually talked about this, I think maybe on the wives segment, uh, and Miguel, maybe you can touch on this or Naya, maybe you can, um, the God gifted athlete versus the kid that has to work for everything they ever got, you know, and what's the chances of the kid that works super hard and and Miguel I'll go to you with on this first since you you know with the Tigers did kind of hold the hat of um you know the the recruiter if you will you know with the you know with the college coaches kind of just speaking about like the profile of the kids and making sure that everyone um you know you talk about like the pay to play but like the responsibility and weight that you felt about making sure that each kid got a fair shake um you know, when a coach A comes up to you, hey, what do you got, coach? You know, and you taking the opportunity to, be, you know, to actually plug, you know, all these kids, you know, whether they're on the bench or not. Right. Well, you know, honestly, um, and I think this is why we pretty got along pretty well, because I was pretty straight up. Um, you and I, Tyler, got along really well. Uh, I was pretty straight up. I mean, um, I remember specifically like Alabama, the head coach, I can't remember what her name is. Um, she came up to me and was like, we were in Atlanta. She's like, hey, coach, you know, I just want to touch base. Here's my card, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, I'm looking for X, Y, Z. And the first thing I said, you know, I introduced myself and said hi and whatnot respectfully. And I said, coach, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't got a t player that can play for you. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, I don't have one that is skilled enough to play for you. And she was like, are you sure? And I said, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't want to waste your time. I go, but the day that I do see one and that wants to go and play for you, I'm going to let you know. But I know for a fact on my team, we don't have somebody who can play for you. And she was like, oh, well, I really appreciate that. 
And so for me, it was more important for me to be honest with said coach than to try and sell a kid. Um, mm-hmm. So in regards to the kid that is has all the talent, yes, they're going to get seen. They're, they're going the, – those kids, the coaches will pick those out. And that's the other thing too. Um, you can sell a kid all you want to a coach. Tyler, I know dang well you know what you're looking for. And you know mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm blowing smoke, easy. Um, you'll listen to what I say, but respectfully, you're going to probably in the back of your head say, this guy's full of baloney. I would probably say something else, but, um, but that's probably what you're going to say. If I'm selling you a kid or, a, a, a what is it? Uh, selling you a bill of bad goods or something like that. Yeah. Um, you're going to know. And so with that, I think it was more important for me to make sure that I was honest and straight up. Um, now there were times that I would say, Hey, look, this kid has a lot of athletic ability, but I don't think that she's peaked. Um, I think in the next year or so, she's probably going to continue working harder and she may get to be able to play at your level. Um, it may not be Alabama. It may be a smaller mid-major school or whatnot, but, but being, being honest with the coaches got more respect. And I think that uh, is how kids are going to get seen. Um, you know, the other thing too, is a lot of it's, it's a myth. You know, people think that just because you play travel ball, you know, you're going to go to play college, you know, um, honestly, I was lucky to meet Tyler. I don't think any kid wrote to his school, but I think the fact that, we had our rules. Remember we talked about rules early on in this, in this podcast or it might've mm-hmm. been before. Um, part of our rules was you had to write to 20 schools for every weekend. And me and our head coach used to have to go through and check every kid to make sure that they were. And that was part of the rules. If you didn't write to 20 schools by Tuesday of that week, guess what? You're sitting the first game. So guess what that did? Everybody wrote schools. And I looked at it as a number system. Right. Um, or, or a numbers game where I did like a little bit of a study when the year before, when I first started doing recruiting, like Naya wrote to like 60 schools or I don't know what it was. And about 30% of the schools and it was PGF. So there was a lot of schools there. 30% of the schools came and asked for her. And I know that because I was a recruiting coordinator. I would write notes. So, so out of those numbers of uh, those, those, those using those numbers, I was able to say, Hey, let's write to 20 schools. We get a third of these schools, three out of the 20 or two out of the 20 for each of the kids. We have 18 kids on the team. Hey, we're, we got, you know, we got some good schools and they all write to different schools and some of them write mm-hmm. to the same school. So, it's a numbers game. So that was one of the ways that we were able to, and, and we, you know, we started incorporating video and whatnot, that kind of stuff. So, but um, that was one of the ways that we were able to get kids seen um, in regards to talent. Yeah. Once a coach is there, they're going to be able to see who has talent, who's athletic and who's not. And that was the biggest thing. People would always say, I need an athlete, not a softball player. I need an athlete. I need somebody that can play multiple positions. And 
you know, I need, I'm working the middle part of the field, uh, pitcher, catcher, short, second and center field everywhere mm-hmm. else. I can fill in with those positions. That's what they're looking for. So one of the things that I used to tell our kids is don't pigeonhole yourself, you know, Hey, I'm a first baseman, you know, Hey, you're a corner, you're a utility, DH or whatever the case is. So, um, now I would, if, in self-reflection, were you a God-given talented kid or were you the hardworking kid? I think I was both. I think I do have a lot of athleticism, but I also think I was hardworking. A lot has to do with my injuries. So I had to like put in the work in order mm-hmm. to keep my skills at a high level. When you played, Naya, did you play multi-sport or was it softball and only softball? Um, yeah, so in middle school, I got to play volleyball for our school. And then in high school, I played softball all four years. And then I also played tennis. So Interesting combination there. Yeah. <laughs> did you feel like playing the multi-sports was the necessary breed, you know, breath of you know breath of fresh air to like like okay i know softball is the main one but it's nice just to just be a part of the team on a different sport where you know that like you know it's not the number one sport that you're going for yeah i think so because the way i looked at tennis i was like this is obviously i'm not going to get a scholarship for tennis i'm doing this well one to get out of pe <laughs> and two <laughs> It was it was fun because it did mimic kind of softball with like, like the swinging and you have to move left to right and being a middle mm-hmm. infielder I'm constantly moving left to right and I think that it was just like I'm glad that I got to play another sport and tennis ended up being fun like it wasn't just oh I'm going to tennis because I don't want to do PE like I ended up really liking it. Like I still play right tennis to this day with my little sister. Naya, my last question for you, juicy as it might be here, no torn ACLs. If our scholarship would have been able to go, was it was it always going to be UC Santa Barbara, or would it have been different if your your injuries would you have come and played at TSU? She's staying home. She already answered. What's the truth? Or do you? Oh, hey. <laughs> she already gave you the truth. You just don't want to well, hear I, it. Uh, no, I don't want to hear it. Listen, this was a kid, <laughs> Nick, that I didn't even know it was Miguel's daughter, P.S., by the way. I show up to Disney. I'm watching these games. I'm like, hey, I'm looking to flip this roster, right? Like Deion Sanders style. I was trying to flip my roster. He was. P.S., Miguel, Nick can't stand Dion. I'm a big Dion fan. but Dion's uh, kids can't even stand Dion because they're transferring out of it. That's cool right now. <laughs> listen but i was like miguel I, I the second baseman yeah that's my daughter okay well this will be an easy sale i'm just gonna get really close with miguel you know try to you know little did i know right like i don't think miguel even knew that like four whatever five years later him and i are like best buds and um heck i remember the first time miguel called was like man this is heartbreaking but naya's got a torn acl and you know i know we've already kind of talked about this but kind of adding a little layer of detail to this miguel really struggled with it and one of the things that i appreciated the absolute most was the honesty because he was like man i'm not gonna lie to you like i sat there and was 
consulting other people about, should I tell the truth? Should I not tell the truth? And the reality of it is, is that Naya had gotten a, a, a special invite to come down to one of our camps, right? So there really wasn't going to be a way that Miguel was going to be able to completely lie to me. But uh, he was like, man, he's like, I hope this doesn't rescind the scholarship offer, but this is what's up. And we honored it. And then it got to a point where I think it was really TSU's fault, Miguel, for being honest, that it it was one of those things that I, it was going to be tough to be like, hey, the scholarship that I offered with two torn ACLs, it's going to be hard for me to honor that. Um, not knowing what her recovery is going to be. But I was super pumped that she still got the opportunity to go to Santa Barbara and continue her career. Um, and, and Naya, I don't know if you really know this or if Miguel ever spoke to it, but like we I pretty much tried to call and check in on you like every six months. It felt like, hey, how's Naya doing? How's her recovery doing? How is she like um, y'all's family, especially with me really getting my feet grounded as like a legit coach, not just like support staff coach, um, was monumental uh, into my, you know, my younger coaching career. And, um, you know, as, as we kind of like finish this up, we, we still might have a few questions. I just want to say thank you all. You know, um, I don't think it's coincidence that Miguel, I think you were probably the first coach that uh, I ever really met. And I don't think it's, uh, you know, by coincidence that you're our first special guest on this podcast, you know, five years later. So I just want to say thank you all to uh, agreeing to still be a part of, you know, this sports journey. You know, we, we appreciate being a part of it, man. And, and uh, well, I, I thank you for always giving her the opportunity, you know, initially. And, and uh, you know, I, I was I kind of felt bad that we that she chose uh, we, you know, wanted her closer as well, but um, that she chose Santa Barbara, you know, you know what is it? Hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, yep. It might have been a better move, the other route. You know, um, but at the end of the day, you know she's here, she's doing well, and and uh, you know that's all we can ask for. And representing Puerto Rico now, man, that what an honest, awesome achievement. Yeah, that is that is. Not too many. Nick, uh, you got it. Well, there's not too many. Yeah, I just want to comment and maybe potentially ask a follow up. There's not too many of the athletes that can represent their country or their heritage country uh, in a sense. Like that's, that's gotta be an awesome feeling. And I think that like, if I'm being honest, when I was growing up, I always wanted to play for USA hockey, which was obviously never good enough to do that. Um, but that there's something special about that. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't know if you, could, if it's really completely comprehended with you, like that's, that's a tribute to your hard work and your person, like mental perseverance of like having to fight through your injuries, having to convince yourself and stay determined of, Hey, no, I'm, I'm going to play college baseball like this or softball. I'm sorry. This is going to happen. Like you spoke it into existence and then you followed through with it. I mean, if anything, what this episode will do is, is be a permanent record, so to speak, that you could look back on years from now and maybe potentially tell your kids about like, no, look, this, this is true. I'm not, I'm not just making this up. I wanted to ask one more question, Miguel. This one's for you. When did you realize Naya needed to be coached by another coach and have another coach giving her advice? Um, all right. So I think it was right around like she was around 12, second year 10s, 12s, and that I realized that I was working with her with hitting. Her fielding, she she was a great fielder. She was probably one of the better fielders in her level, at her rec ball level, and then and grow, uh, you know, even on her team at that time. But I realized, okay, hey, the way you're going to get in the lineup is you're going to have to hit 
you hit, you play. So um, we started getting her hitting lessons. And I went to a, a guy that I was referred to, and she started hitting with him. And I started realizing, like, you know what? She's responding better to him than what she is with me. Maybe it's because I'm dad, and I'm around her. And you know what, dad? You don't know anything. You're just dad. So I started to realize she started responding. She was listening. And I would hang out during the hitting lessons, and I'd listen to things and certain cues and whatnot. And I'd kind of help her whenever we'd hit on her own or whatever. Um, but then it started to, I started to realize every once in a while that when I do hitting lessons, or not hitting lessons, when I would hit with her, we would argue. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have to back away. Yeah. And I'd say, okay, well, you know, you're going to have to go and uh, go see somebody else. And, you know, to this day, she actually goes and sees her hitting coach now. Um, Ken, she goes to see Ken Briggs. He runs the, the Bengals organization now. And um, I thought it was SoCal A's. Sorry. He was. He was SoCal A's, but he just started his own organization uh, two years ago. Their kids are doing amazing. They're doing an amazing job um, yeah. getting really recruited. But so she still goes see sees him. I mean, there's times like, you know, before Puerto Rico, she was before she went to Chile for the Pan Am game. She's like, uh, Dad, I'll, I'll be back. I, I got to go see Ken. And like for those two weeks before, she was like two times, three times a week. She was in there with him. And, you know, we pay him and we just, you know, paid him what we, and she was getting her work in. She realized like, Hey, I got to hit, I got to get, I got to fine tune some stuff. And and the nice thing is when they start at a younger age and you use the right terminology, the hitting coach is using the right terminology. If she goes to somebody else and they're using that terminology, she completely mm-hmm. understands like, Hey, what she's doing wrong, where she's, you know, flying open or whatever the case is going on. It helps her. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, it was right around 10 to 12 is when I realized, you know, when I started arguing with her that, you know, <laughs> she's not doing it right. You know, it was like, you know, you got to go to somebody else before we get into a big, big bag brawl here. Yeah. So. She gets too comfortable with the, uh, well, I know dad, like I know dad's background versus Bob, you know, off the yes. street, Bob, uh, you, you immediately have credentials. You're a stranger. Don't, don't yeah, get yeah. that back. Cause I don't know if you're capable of that. <laughs> Bob has probably played uh, baseball with, you know, uh, a 12 pack of beer. Yeah, <laughs> but Bob knows hitting. That's yeah. right. Now I got one last question for you because I appreciated when we first did our why, and Nick kind of spoke about this and kind of created a topic off of it. Can you name the first coach that was the biggest impact in your playing career? So I've had a lot of really good coaches that have like impacted me in some type of way. But there is one coach that I think changed softball for me in a way. Mm-hmm. His name was Steve Harrington. Um, I met him my freshman year of high school. He was our high school coach for my freshman and sophomore year. He was like a, a different type of coach. Like I had, I still don't think I've ever experienced a coach like him. He was a hard ass. But he also praised us on our accomplishments, whether they were small or big. And he taught me, like, the game of softball. Like, I thought I knew Mm -hmm. it before going into high school. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know, like, a lot about softball. But he just knew softball, the ins, the outs, like, everything. Like, I have never looked at softball the way that he looked at softball till I met him. Mm -hmm. And I think that... He was probably the one coach that impacted me the most. Can you give an example of 
his like coaching style, like when you talk about teaching the game in a different way, is there something that sticks out? Because, you know, I immediately start thinking X's and O's or I start thinking situational, you know, but for some people it's, um, you know, the terminology of it, you know, I'm just kind of curious if you can shed light to an example. There, so my sophomore year, I didn't end up playing, but because of my ACL, my first ACL surgery, but he normally as an athlete, that's not going to step on the field because of their injury. It's like, Oh, stay home. Don't worry about it. It's not going to make a big deal if you're there or not. Week after my surgery, I'm, I can't even walk. I'm in my crutches. My stitches are still in my leg. And he's like, all right, you're going to be at practice on Monday. And I'm like, wait, what? And I was like, I just got out of surgery a couple days ago. What do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, you're coming. And I was like, okay. I, got, I guess I'll sit there in the cold with the open <laughs> wound. <laughs> but um, he would have me just sit there and watch and learn what he did. He would have me chart. He would have me chart pitches. He would have me chart defensive plays or like the way that they like are hitting stats and everything. So mm -hmm. I was able to learn through like kind of the coaching side of softball and it helped me understand some of like the processes that coaches go through in order to teach the kids. So I was able to like not coach, but like you were thinking see, at a higher level. Yeah, I was thinking at a higher level on on a bucket with a, my leg freaking up on another bucket trying to get it elevated. But um, yeah, I was able to learn a lot more just being there in his presence and just watching and listening. It's like the way he would coach. But So I think that uh, it's unique that you say that because my absolute favorite player to coach while I was at TSU, uh, Megan Huppy, when her and I had some of the most honest conversations. And I think that she would probably speak about that coaching style the same way that you did Anaya, because she also, she tore her ACL in one of our practices season completely over, but she was such a student of the game that she was like, coach, I want to, I want to see your, your sequencing thought process when it comes to pitching. I want to see how you try to pick signs and steal signs and what are you anticipating, you know, on these counts and on these tendencies? And, you know, likewise, you know, she'd have our, you know, we'd have our diamond edge charts and, or, you know, whatever people use. Sweet and, um, yeah. And so she'd sit there and be looking at this and she's like, and after a while, she'd be like, we're going to attack inside because her spray chart was showing 60 over, over 60% oppo. Clearly she can't get on an inside pitch. She looks outside all the time just to go dump it into right field. Or maybe that's her, you know, her bat path. Right. And I'm like, yep. And so there was one game in particular. I was like, Megan, call the sequence. She thought it was the coolest thing. Right. She's like, wait a second. You, you're trusting me to do this. I was like, you understand how I coach for side reference here. Our pitching coach was out and I was <laughs> literally hodgepodging this whole thing together. Like, this one weekend series and i was like megan uh call this pitch i got to go talk to so-and-so because they're about to lose their mind and i got to get them back refocused in the game and she's like what and she called it perfect right she called it exactly how i would have called it how i would have set it up you know which brings up a point i i think that there's some credence to an athlete who plays the game to get to see it from the other side of it absolutely um which i think the game naturally is starting to evolve to that anyways players are you know i'm sitting here seeing all these promos for um 
what is the uh, the new hitting uh, chart system that you can sit there and hit and everything's graphed out and you can see you know your distance your launch wow. angle whatever what was it last yeah and so people are starting to you know gravitate towards that anyways now quite honestly and i think miguel and nick you would agree like at the end of the day see the ball hit the ball it's not that simple but um i think that there is a science behind the approach and your preparation and um that, that might not make a you know a, an episode for you know hang them up but it's an intriguing conversation to have when you evolve from you know the next level to the next level is getting inside the mind you know of your opponent and what you expect and how you can prepare to, to win that day right at the plate or defensively even for that matter with the shifts yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of statistical information out there these days you, you know anyways to touch on what she was saying earlier that's the most during that year is probably the most I saw her grow as a, as a player and her, her understanding of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. she would we'd talk softball, you know, and she'd come home and I'd have to go pick her up after practice. And I felt bad. This kid, you know, she's with crutches and she was like the last one out because she was the slowest. And, you know, it was like, so what, how was practice? And, uh, oh my God, it was, you know, you know, he did this and that, you know, and I'm like, why? And so she was like, it's because of this. And, you know, so she really learned the game, Steve. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Steve was coaching travel ball with Firecrackers or, I don't know, uh, Firecrackers Brashear or something. I think you know Brashear. Um, And a couple years ago, he ended up having a heart attack and he passed away. So kind of crazy. Um, But the guy was a different kind of guy, man. I mean, he – he would light them up boy when he would light them up i was i was like what the hell did he just say but then she's right he would praise them he would always praise them a little after he lit them up you know i mean i remember one girl um it was her nice sophomore year one of the girls was playing second base and she made a mistake and literally they got out of the inning and he made her go run to the opposite like i was like it was like a lap around a track in the middle of a game you made that mistake. Go think about what you did. And it, she ran, came back. Then afterwards, he's like, hey, get in there. Come on. I, I believe in you. Let's go. You're, you're, you're in there for a reason. Let's go. Yeah. You know, so there, there were things that he did was kind of off the cuff. But at the end of the day, you know, all the kids, well, I can't say all. I would say the majority of the kids loved him, you know. Um, so, you know, it says something, to, you know, about how, how uh, you coach and being honest and, and hard. You know, some kids need that. They need that structure. They need that, you know, being told and hold held accountable. They talk about it a lot right now, you know, on, on different types of co- podcasts and how coaching is soft. And you hear that in football right now, right? You know, coaching is soft and, and uh, parents are soft. Um, you know, you, you get more respect sometimes if you put your foot down, you know, so. I think it's two-way street. You talk about accountability too. I mean, this is one way coaches could be held accountable if they're if it's a paying job. But like I, I think back to some of my high school coaches. Um, it sounds like Naya's experience at uh, UCB was kind of similar to like my high school team. Um, I've told Tyler about this. You know, I struggled trying to get on our our varsity baseball team. Got cut two or three times. Uh, junior year made it. Uh, the coach told me in so many ways he only made it just because I didn't like the other kid type of thing. Um, and the first game they subbed me in was a division game. They subbed me in in the bottom of the seventh, well, somewhere in the fifth, because uh, they thought we were going to lose the game. And it just happened so that, like, our, you know, 
cleanup hitter didn't do his job. He only got a to second base. Game was uh was tied. And I come out to bat and I remember they called time to discuss whether they should actually pull me out and put a DH in my, my spot. And the head coach just said, you know, let's, who cares? Whatever. Let's just see what happens. I get up and I walk off do- double the rest is history. Or so I thought senior year, I go and tryouts. They do this kind of the same thing of, well, let's, let's see who can make the team. And they pulled me into the office and said, Hey, uh, just want to let you know that you know, this is a very tough decision. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And they told me like, no, you're, you know, you're going to be on a team, but we want you kind of in more of a managerial role. <laughs> and my, my batting average junior year was a six, six, six. And I had more than, than 10 at bats. I don't, I think it was somewhere around 15. <laughs> I was about to ask how much. No, yeah. Yeah. Um, three at bats and two of them. Yeah. No, but uh, I remember just thinking like, this is, this is insane. Like uh, you guys are just, the having a backup plan or or whatever, but I go back to my point of of having a honest accountability. There was a kid that was playing right field for us, and I was I played first base right field, but there was a kid playing right ba- right field for us. He, he was his batting was subpar, and he had depth perception issues. Okay. And this was like our first year as a program doing spring training. We came down to uh, Cocoa Beach. Uh, for spring training, we were playing teams from like Tennessee, Ohio. Uh, there was another Southern team. Um, the team from Tennessee, they beat us 21 to like one. It was a, a massacre. And a large part of that was they had a whole bunch of lefties. Our right, field, our right fielder was not catching anything. Like he couldn't even track them. Like, and I think the, the reason the coach had him in was because of his bat. But he he was less than a quarter batter that year. I don't, it it was not good. I'll just put it usually, that way. Here's the thing: usually, a situation like that has a lot to do with what their parents do, and how, especially at the high school level, what yeah. their parents do, uh, um, how much they donate to the program or to the <laughs> school, or you know, like neighbors. School, yes, next door neighbors. <laughs> um, or at my high school, our high school coaches used to go in the summertime because they were teachers, right? In the summertime, they would go work at one of the farms, and it was a packing shed. And the owner of the packing shed had a kid who played yep. baseball. What a coincidence. That kid yep. was a freshman on the varsity team, you know. So, you yep. know, that's the kind of stuff uh, you run into, stuff like, especially with that depth perception stuff, you know. So, um, well, well, I hope everybody had a great listen to our podcast, and they, I hope they enjoyed uh, their time here today. And I think it's time to hang them up.